Good morning, lockdown campers. We're back with another episode of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance, and how people define happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott. I'm your host for the show. And on this episode, I'm talking to Sarah Ellis. She is one half of Amazing If and one half of the author team behind the book, The Squiggly Career just come out. So we're going to talk a little bit about the book. And also, we talk about a load of really interesting stuff in this episode. So we talk about personal manifestos. We talk about her six-year transition from employed to gainly self-employed. We talk, she used to work for Sainsbury's in head of corporate responsibility and society. So we talk about how Sainsbury's have been dealing with the current crisis and the loo roll shortage and all that stuff and just a whole lot more so i think you're going to really enjoy this conversation so um let's get pretty much straight into it um this is another one of these ones recorded down the line uh during lockdown so a little bit of covid chat but not too much let's get straight into it here's our episode with sarah ellis i'm with sarah ellis how are you I'm good, thanks, Graham. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, we just had a little chat before we uh, pressed record and uh, swapped our war stories on books and everything <laughs> else. Uh, we've not talked that much about COVID and uh, lockdown life and all that. So, so let's start with that. Where are you? How has it been? How are you surviving this very crazy, interesting year that we're in? Well, I think like many people, the roller coaster of emotions is not just a weekly thing; it's a daily thing. I think I have over the weeks got better at coping and adapting and I think working out what works for me. And you definitely, I think, grieve the the loss of some of the things that we had previously. Or I, I definitely do. I miss, like everybody, seeing family or friends. I miss Helen, my business partner, yeah. um, who I've not seen in real life now for a couple of months and running a business completely remotely is a whole new proposition and one that we hadn't obviously anticipated or planned for what I would what I've sort of found is that I think in the early days I think exercise was my savior being honest Mm. almost it wasn't it wasn't about work and it wasn't about thinking about what was our business going to be it was more about just keeping my mindset and my body in a good place like almost trying to just well I was think I was processing everyone everything I said to my friends actually I think one of my bleakest moments was I went for a run and I think I was listening to uh, some sort of Kelly Clarkson ballad and um, she was singing about what doesn't kill us will make us stronger and I think I was like I ended up in tears like midway through like a 10k run and I was like oh yeah. god this is like this is a whole new a whole new low that actually felt very embarrassing to, to now share with you but I definitely I think that was actually me just getting over the you know all the things that you've had cancelled that you were really looking forward to um For sure. and yeah. actually the other thing I think so many people have had to process is I think I felt guilty about feeling that way because you do realize that you're still in a relatively fortunate position you haven't got you know any health challenges touch wood at the moment certainly my family are all well so you know that that's a good thing but also you're you've got so many mixed emotions I think happening simultaneously there's there's no wonder that sometimes you go for a run and halfway through you're, you're, you're in tears but I, I do feel that as I've got used to it and certainly over the past six weeks or so started to kind of work in a new way what I'm finding is there are some kind of really hopeful moments too. 
there are some examples of where we as a business are doing things more creatively, more innovatively. We're working in ways that has accelerated because of the way that we're working right now. And I think there's some really good stuff that comes out of this. And, you know, I get to see my toddler more, probably more than I really ever want to see him, being honest. (laughs) But there's that upside. So I think at the moment, my current state and current mindset is actually starting to feel more hopeful, starting to see the opportunity. And I'm really actually starting to think about what are some of the things that we've learned that we don't want to lose? And what are some of the good things, things that have actually been better? So we've managed to improve things through having to adapt, being forced into it, that perhaps we want to keep. And I think I think there are some examples of that. Yeah, so I want to hear a bit more about the lessons that you're seeing and the positives coming out of it um, a bit more in a minute. And we'll talk about Amazing If, of which you're um, the co-founder, one half of the Amazing If founding team. But yeah, I had a similar experience on the, the Sunday just before lockdown hit. I went to a gig, which just feels crazy now. And I was checking the um, Brighton Dome website all day thinking this is going to have to get cancelled. Like, we're not going to be able to go to this gig. But just nothing nothing came up on the page. So I rocked up there. And it was just one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced. Because it was like all these people who sort of knew that lockdown was coming. And it just had this atmosphere like it was the last gig on earth. And it was this guy, John Hopkins. And he does these really beautiful piano, almost like sort of John Cage, Philip Glass stuff like very like lots of space and lots of resonance and reverb and all this kind of stuff and then it transitions into really frenetic dance music and everyone sat down in the Brighton Dome and I was sat quite high up and just had this moment of sort of looking around and hearing this music and seeing this crowd and just just breaking down just started crying in the middle of this gig you know (laughs) because it just felt like just this weird almost like being stuck on the wrong planet experience it was very very surreal but yeah I think we probably all had those um slightly weird moments where something as seemingly superficial as a Kelly Clarkson tune can just turn you into like a gibbering wreck you made me feel better (laughs) yeah no and I think it's good to share these things because I think yeah probably there are a lot of people who've had similar experiences over the last few weeks for sure I also heard a really interesting thing that he was on a podcast saying that the time in China where they noticed that most people were having the biggest struggles in terms of mental health was the six week mark. So that, that was apparently part of the thinking why they said, let's do three weeks and three weeks. And it was, you know, deliberately to, to try and mitigate this, this six week low factor. And I really felt it at the start of last week, the first couple of days last week, I just had this real sense of low and it passed quite quickly, but uh, whenever I was texting people about it, everyone was saying exactly the same thing. And it's kind of a weird thing. And certainly in my little online WhatsApp bubble last week, it, it seemed to be a, a, a pretty prevalent thing. But yeah, let's talk about some of the positives. So you're, you're one half of Amazing If. And actually, as a, as a team, Amazing If's been growing as well. So there's more of you than, than just you and Helen. We've had Helen on the podcast before. So do you want to start just by doing a quick recap of what is Amazing If? And then... And then maybe just some of the some of the bits of learning or interesting things that you've been doing over the last few weeks in terms of how you've been transitioning your work and changing the way that you work. Yeah, so Amazing If really came from uh, almost an insight and an idea more than a 
business proposition. I don't think either has ever intended to start a business. It was just we wanted to solve a problem, which actually I think is how a lot of great businesses start is you you, yeah. spot, you spot a problem and, and you, you have the initiative or in my case, luckily a brilliant business partner who can get on board with and, and decide to do something about it. And so for us, the problem that we spotted is that we felt like the the shape and the nature of careers were really changing. But what wasn't changing was how people were learning and the support that they were getting with their own development. And so we both started our careers in very large organisations, very hierarchical, linear, predictable. You often knew what was coming next. It was quite easy to look upwards and to figure out what your path might be. And actually, probably five or six years into our careers, we started to just notice that actually there was more ambiguity, change, transitions, uh, just just in general, more uncertainty than we kind of ever experienced before. And this idea of aiming for a very specific destination, and it was only when you got to that destination that you'd be successful and happy, didn't feel like the right approach to our careers. And I did the classic and slightly cliche thing of drawing a little picture on a napkin in the days where we met in person and got a coffee <laughs> and drawing a little staircase like ladder and almost saying, it's not this anymore. It's, it's squiggly and just drawing yeah. a big squiggle. And that's where this squiggly career idea really came from. This idea that progression doesn't always have to mean promotion, that we're working in so many different ways now that the majority of us don't do the same thing day in, day out that most of us don't work on a nine to five and that the three stage life of education, work and retirement is dis- is disappearing. People's lives, um, people are going to, we're going to work for longer. We are probably all likely at some point to be employed and self-employed and perhaps freelance. And, and actually across our working lives, we're probably going to have three to four different types of career. So I don't think anyone expects to have a job for life anymore. But I think when you start to realise I'm probably actually going to have three or four different types of career. That really starts to broaden your horizons in terms of how you think about your career. And the thing that we really are really passionate about is how can we democratise career development? So again, traditionally in that ladder-like world, a lot of the best career development was really the reserve of the most senior people. The more senior you got, the better the access to learning and development And that's sometimes quite difficult to make development available to everybody in an organisation, particularly in big organisations. And that's historically how organisations in a more command and control world obviously felt like that was the right thing to do. And now when we have this squiggly environment, we think everybody should have the opportunity to learn, to develop, to think about their career, to explore their career possibilities And we think that learning should be affordable, open, accessible, and really on demand. So available for when people need it and flexible. So it works in a way that works for you, depending on how you work and and the rest of your life. And that that was the thing that we really wanted to do. We wanted to start developing content, whether it's podcasts or workshops or books or whatever we were creating that really helped solve that problem in a very practical and action focused way I think we are I think someone described us the other day as relentlessly practical <laughs> mm. which I think I think was a compliment but <laughs> um, I do think we we want everything to be everything that we talk about is something that we want people to be able to use the next day at work in in a very useful way that makes a difference to your day-to-day I guess and one of the things I love that you guys do is on your Instagram stories, if you've been to an event or read a book or heard a talk or something, 
and I've had this done with me actually when I was on your podcast. <laughs> and then, like, two days later, I see like your Instagram stories is summarizing everything I've done for five years in like eight really neat Instagram <laughs> stories. Or so I've been on the other side, but I really love those stories because they it, it just feels like you can take things away really quickly and simply and, and like you say, apply it the next day. Yeah. So I think one of the things that we are really passionate about is the so what. So when people have developed really brilliant ideas or big thinking, in some ways, I think, you know, TED Talks and those kind of things are really inspirational. Um, mm. But they can also feel quite overwhelming to people because yeah. perhaps, you know, you watch these really big ideas. And I think often, or certainly if you're anything like me, you perhaps struggle to work out what does that mean for me in my world, in the work that I do. And one of the things that I'm always a bit cautious of, those big statements that actually you do often see on places like Instagram of where people or brands are really proposing that everyone should just do what you love and these pithy, big, inspirational quotes. And I do worry a little bit that that at times puts pressure on people. Mm. You feel like, oh, well, maybe what happens if I don't love every moment of every day? Is that okay? Or what do I need to be doing about that? What happens if I don't find my magic purpose? Yeah, and (laughs) I do feel that comparison culture, which I think is a really nice way to describe it, is very alive and well in the world of careers. Mm. So it's even easier than ever to compare our careers and our progress to our peers, to people we don't know on Instagram or on on LinkedIn. And this sense of, am I going far enough and fast enough? And the thing that we really try to encourage people to, to figure out is, what does success mean to you? And that will look and feel different to your friends or other members of your family. And if you are guided by some of the things that that we talk about really practically around knowing your strengths, using your strengths, understanding your values, so the things that really motivate and drive you, get rid of those confidence gremlins, the things that can hold you back from things you really want to do, build relationships in a way that works for you, all these kind of practical skills that are very useful regardless of what job or industry you're in. I think that what that helps you to do is start to make the right choices and decisions for you versus what you think you should do or could do or perhaps what your manager's telling you to do. And then I think once you feel like you've got a bit more ownership and control of that squiggle, I think you can make the squiggly career work for you versus feeling like it's something maybe that's happening to you and causing you anxiety or to feel overwhelmed yeah for sure and even just the idea of the squiggle as opposed to viewing a staircase to me it sort of opens up your radar in terms of the possibilities and other things that you can explore rather than just looking at what's the thing that I'm supposed to do next right yeah and we've been conditioned I think from that interview question tell me what you want to be doing in five years time that's a really classic interview question and if I could kill that interview question I would do because I feel yeah. like it's a really unreasonable expectation now, especially when I think about the last three or four jobs that I've done didn't exist before I did them in, in the same guise. <laughs> yeah. So asking me to anticipate that feels pretty uh, unrealistic and, and unfair. The thing that we would always encourage people to think about is to explore multiple possibilities at the same time. And so that you're always staying very curious, you're keeping an eye open for what you are interested in what you might do what you could do it doesn't mean that you have to do all of those things next it just means that you are having that broader horizons in terms of your perspective and we were chatting about I run amazing if now so I now run my own business that that's how I spend the majority of my time 
but it's taken six years for me to get to this point. I've run Amazing If alongside my full-time job. I've run Amazing If one day a week and I've run it evenings and weekends. So I've done it in loads of different ways, shapes and forms. And it's always been a career possibility for me, but it only became the next career possibility for me in the last six months or so. And actually at some point, one of the reasons I think for exploring possibilities is sometimes to realize that it's not for you. And I think that's actually part of the reason yeah, reason for yeah. doing it. it. It's okay to try and get as close as you can to something you're intrigued by, only to realize actually, perhaps that wouldn't be a good fit for you. Perhaps your strengths are not that useful in that context. I've certainly done that before. I remember thinking in my marketing years, in my number one career, that um, I really wanted to make TV ads. And the closer I got to the reality of um, what that looked and felt like, the more I thought, oh, actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be very good at that. It takes efficiency, project management, and it's kind of lots of steps in a process. I thought it'd be very creative. And it is if you're the person making the ad. But if you're the person managing the process, it actually isn't necessarily all that yeah, creative. Right. And so I, I'm, I was so glad that I'd, you know, I'd spent some time shadowing. I'd asked some questions. I went and talked to somebody who led that team. And it just started to feel almost less like the right thing for me. It would have been perfect for somebody else. And actually, I then made a different decision about what I then wanted to explore next as a result of being curious about it. And also then not being afraid to change your mind. You have that prerogative. It's okay to say, actually, that's not for me. Yeah, we need to make it easier and more acceptable for people to say, number one, I'm experimenting and I don't know, but I'm going to check it out. And number two, I've checked it out and just decided that it's not what I want to do. It's almost like a taboo, isn't it? That you're not really allowed to make, you know, or it's termed as like making a career mistake. And it's almost, you know, we need to categorize it as not a mistake, but just an exploration or curiosity. And actually that word experimentation, I'm seeing a real, that's coming up again and again in some of the people that I'm speaking to, some of the research that I'm reading I really like um, the work of Margaret Heffernan. She's just um, released a book called Uncharted. And she Mm. she talks about experimentation is about prototyping the future you want to create. And that's really stuck with me. And and she really advocates for us all having an experimenting mindset because she distinguishes between the difference between a complicated world where actually things do fit together a bit easier. It's a bit more like the staircase that I described and a complex world, which is where we all find ourselves, where actually to navigate complexity, we need to get better at experimenting, actually in quite a thoughtful, practical way. And that really applies, I think, to how we think about our careers is actually being quite conscious about the experiments that we are undertaking. And also then being very comfortable that some of those will work better than others, some of those will last longer. And that it is like you say, it's okay to say that that's not for me. I'm starting to see, actually, I feel encouraged that um, some people I know who have gone into new roles or new industries, and actually then it's only maybe by sometimes there's only so much you can learn before you do something. And I I do think once you're in it, you really do learn the ins and outs. And I hope it's becoming more okay to actually probation periods to actually be probation for everyone. Um, And that's one of the things that I would really like to change, that perhaps probation periods get longer. So perhaps they're more like six months and it's not a tick box exercise. And also it's not a, your, the word probation is probably not that helpful because that almost sounds like you're kind of, do I have to keep proving myself? It maybe puts quite a lot of pressure on the individual, but if it was more of a trying out period or an experimenting period, 
uh, especially if it's if you've moved into something that's quite far away from what you did previously I actually think having that six months and then it being absolutely okay for everyone at the end of that to go this actually hasn't felt quite right there's actually a company over in the US where they if that happens people can leave and they actually also get cash so they actually also say we recognize that we don't want people here where it's just not a good fit and it's not right for you so we will that's zappos right it is yeah so they they give give people like i think it's like a couple of months of salary to just give you that extra time to figure out what you want to do next and you to leave because we don't want you here mucking up the culture and being toxic for 20 years because you're not quite right and you know that exact example won't work for everyone but i do think that sort of thinking is actually useful and it also recognizes that it might just have not been the right time and it might just have not been quite quite the right job but who knows we're seeing more and more what we call boomerang employees which is where people are going back to organizations where they've got a strong fit with the culture the values and so it might be that that person might come back in three or four years and so just building on that experimentation theme and coming back to the covid thing so obviously amazing if a large part of what you do, similar to, to Think Productive, is you go into businesses, you do workshops, you talk to people face-to-face, all the stuff that is no longer allowed. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so what have you been finding in terms of what what have you noticed that's changes for the better and you doing things in different ways over the last few weeks? I think what has been interesting is one of the things that we we really want to do, we talked about this idea of democratising career development and one of the ways and the routes to that is clearly technology. Um, technology means that everybody can be part of something. It means it's very scalable. Depending on what you're doing in terms of learning, it can be very on demand. So people can do it at the right moment for them, which is particularly important right now. People are caring for people or homeschooling, you know, getting people together all at exactly the same time. Perhaps isn't always that realistic or feasible. And so For us, I think what's really reassuring is we have seen definitely a surge of interest in terms of people, I think, recognising they need to take more ownership for their own career development. So from an individual perspective, people joining some of our live learning that we do. So we do something called Pod Plus every Thursday at nine o'clock where for half an hour we discuss a podcast topic and we do some drawing and some tools and just talk about an idea in a bit more detail. And that's just 30 minutes of live career development stuff together as a group it's sort of our equivalent of what joe wicks does for millions of people (laughs) (laughs) Um, but ours is all about career development and he he's getting everybody fit so things like that i don't think i don't think we would have perhaps started that and i don't think we would have had the interest and support for it if we weren't in the current context that we're in right now i think that's brilliant that people are really getting the benefit from that and prioritizing just a little bit of time in their week to spend some time learning Because so often we hear that your own personal learning related to your job or related to your career ends up being bottom of your to-do list or it ends up being the thing that you think, I'll just spend half an hour on a Friday afternoon. And as soon as I hear that, I'm always thinking there is no way you're going to spend half an hour on a Friday afternoon doing that. So I think that that has been that gives me a lot of hope that that's perhaps a behavior and a habit that people are forming right now to prioritize their own learning to care about really care and think about their career and spend some time on their self-awareness and actions and what that might mean for them really reflecting so I think that that's been great and I think from a company perspective I've been so impressed by some companies who really recognize that their people do need more support than ever 
right now. Mm. And that's not all about career development. That's in lots of different areas, whether that is mental well-being, whether that is just people who the ability to listen and have empathy. And I don't think that's always necessarily managers and employee relationships. I think that's peer to peer. I have seen a lot of empathy and kindness. And we were chatting a bit about that before. And I think people are working really hard to try and put themselves in the shoes of other people and realise that though we are all experiencing in some ways the same thing, our own personal experience of it is very, very different. And I think you could be in exactly the same team in exactly the same company right now, um, doing exactly the same job and having a dramatically different day-to-day experience. And, you know, I know some people who are perhaps even quite enjoying the time and space that lockdown is affording them. And I know other people who are finding it incredibly overwhelming and a real struggle to make everything work. And we actually did a really interesting poll on Instagram where we said, do you feel like you have more or less time to learn right now? And so out of 10,000 people, it was honestly pretty much a 50-50 split. Wow. Which okay. we, ne- we never get. We yeah. never get that in our polls. You're always getting like 70-80% because the nature of you're all in the same community, you probably perhaps have some similar thoughts and beliefs. But yeah. we, we can just see at the moment that I think every everybody would like that opportunity to learn and, and perhaps think a bit about themselves. But I think it's more realistic perhaps for some groups than others. Yeah, I'm definitely in the the much less time than usual category, just yeah. given the, the sort of childcare aspect of it. Like I heard a good thing on LinkedIn the other day that was saying, we're not all in the same boat with this. We're in the mm. same storm. Yeah. And our boats look very different. And, yeah, that's a good way of describing know, it. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us have much bigger boats and some people are in dinghies and some people are swimming and it's like everybody's different, but the yeah. storm is the same, but everything else is different. Um, have you had anyone contacting you guys on you know Instagram or LinkedIn or anywhere saying, I'm on furlough and the two months sitting in my house not doing my job has really made me realize that I hate my job and <laughs> I need to do something else. Like, have you noticed any of that? Like, it's Because I think a lot of people are using this as a time to, I, I think it forces all of us to really think about where our attention goes and what our priorities are. Have you noticed any trends around that? Yeah, I think we are still- we have been asked the question more, I would say slightly almost before the career change. The thing that I'm seeing the most is, is now a good time to make a career change? Mm. It's almost like the bit before the career change is like, is this the right time? And I think some people are thinking, oh, well, actually, perhaps it's this is the momentum and the little push that many of us need to do something different. Should I be using this to propel me in a direction that I'm more motivated by? versus and I think on everyone's mind is job security stability is it actually a harder time to do that because will companies be recruiting less will they have less money to invest are they less likely to take a chance on somebody who perhaps has less traditional experience for example and I think they're really good questions for people to be asking the thing that I always encourage people to do is I think the often when you're making a career change, it always feels really dramatic, doesn't it? It really feels like we were over here and then we're going to make some really big life changing move into something that is a world apart from where we are today. All of the research certainly that I've read and, and my experience coaching groups and, and teams of people is the people who make those changes from something to something quite different tend to do it in incremental steps you know it tends to be movement by degrees rather than a 180 change in direction overnight yeah um 
And so where I would always start, if you're thinking about making a career change, is think about, we talked about earlier, exploring different career possibilities. So what are all the different ways that you could make that change? And what are all the different changes you could make? So it might be about, is it about discipline, i.e. marketing versus sales? Is it about a different type of marketing? Is it about a different type of industry? Is it a different type of company, i.e. big versus small, etc.? So really try and tease out what are the changes you're trying to make and why? Mm. And what are you really what are you really looking for? So what are you hoping will be different in the, the new world that you're trying to create for yourself? And then be quite creative about, okay, well, where might I get those things? Because for some people, it might be, well, I really want more um, accountability. I want more ability to see projects through from start to finish. For other people, it might be, I want to get closer to what it feels like to really run a small business day to day and that's always difficult to get in a really big company. So I think just being really clear about why, like why do you want to make that move and what are you hoping to gain? And then just start with your strengths. Always start with what have you got to give and make sure you do the second part. How will that be useful for where it is you're hoping to go? Because I do think when you're changing further away from where you are today, you have to work a bit harder on behalf of the people you're hoping are going to employ you to demonstrate the value the usefulness, how what you've got to give will be really helpful for them. Because you are asking somebody to take perhaps a bit more of a chance on you, and it's perhaps a slightly harder choice. So what I do find reassuring is things like Matthew Syed's work in Rebel Ideas on cognitive diversity does demonstrate that if we get people from with different backgrounds, with different experiences together, those are the people that will solve the hard problems for organisations. And it's definitely something that's a newer thought for me. So it's something I'm still mulling over. But what I hope is that will help leaders and organisations to be convinced of the value of bringing together diverse in its largest and broadest sense teams of people and not feeling like if we work in um, retail, we can only recruit people who've got retail experience. And that actually somebody from a startup could actually be really valuable in that world and I do see the progressive companies that we work with through Amazing If are certainly more and more open-minded to you know not necessarily a traditional staircase like ladder like CV or LinkedIn profile and then what I really hope that does is it proves that that does work that different people from different backgrounds with different experiences all have opportunities to add value. And I think there's just a natural shake-up of things going on whether we like it or not right now so that hopefully presents some ropes to jump on and and grab and swing through the jungle and and those kind of things too right yeah I said I I really hope so I think one of the barriers that we do hear sometimes is where people say they've had particularly squiggly careers is just how you articulate those to other people and I think just Mm. just looking for those I always think look, look for the constant threads often though we might have done very different things there are usually still things that we have in common about every opportunity that we look for so I mainly have worked in, in very large organisations, but I have done lots and lots of different jobs. And what I yeah. started to realise is what all of those jobs have in common is actually is, is about uh, creation and newness. So I was often the um, slightly weird and wonderful one in a very big kind of corporate setting. And every corporate setting needs needs some of those weird and wonderful people. And that's why I often did jobs that people hadn't done before, because the ambiguity, the blank piece of paperness of it really appealed mm. really appealed to me so for me it felt like a really big leap to run my own company 
because I'm used to being in massive structures where you've got lots of support around you, lots of stability. I've worked at places like Sainsbury's and Barclays. And I was thinking, can I, am I going to be successful in inverted commas if I go from a 200,000 people organization to, you know, one of two to five? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that feels, I just said about you don't go 180. And I've, I've already said it, it wasn't 180 overnight. It was a six year process. Yeah. But I think one of the things that reassured me in terms of, would I enjoy it? Did I know my why of that move? And did I have anything? Was I actually going to be useful? Was I going to be any good? Was when I started to look at all the things that I had in common in terms of the choices that I made, actually lots of those things are useful in running your own business, creating mm. value, spotting opportunities, developing ideas, helping to develop other people. All of those things are as present in Amazing If as they were in the jobs that I had at Sainsbury's. I'm just doing it in a very different context now. Um, I'd love to hear more about that transition. I remember when we had dinner, which I... Feels like a lifetime ago. I can't <laughs> think when that was. Was that like about October last year or something? Or was yes, it like two it years ago? I can't I, even I, I tell. Don't know. It. Was it like 2018, year. 2019? I don't even I think know. it was 2019. I think yeah. it was. But anyway, whenever we had that dinner, whenever that was, <laughs> I remember you saying that you were... So you were still running quite fast-growing marketing agency and then you were fitting in amazing if around the edges of that evenings weekends one day a week that kind of thing and I remember just thinking to myself wow you've got two entities there that are both tugging on your attention and and demanding for as much of your attention as possible and whenever you're running something it's tempting that that becomes the thing that you spend your evenings and weekends on let alone have another organization and a business partner who presumably also wants as much of your time and attention as possible so just wondering how did you juggle that and what did you learn about yourself by having to juggle those those two roles that both have big responsibilities yeah I think so I don't think it's for everyone it's it's the first thing to say Um, (laughs) and I think one of my values so one of my core values the things that something that's like part of my DNA and something that really motivates and drives me is and it doesn't sound very glamorous but it's definitely true is variety I really mm, I really yeah. I really thrive on variety and actually it is one of the reasons I also enjoy running my own thing because running your own business is variety is is every day because because certainly no two days are the same and I think for me uh, when I've done multiple jobs simultaneously uh, every single one of those I felt like I was learning and growing mm. I felt like I was better at each of them because I had a multitude of things so I felt like they they had nice overlap but without being the same or contradictory and I also felt I was always doing things that I enjoyed because it it is a lot of your time I'm not going to uh, pretend otherwise it's it's a lot of your time and certainly by the time I was managing director for a creative agency I'd got um a one-year-old obviously became a two-year-old and that was a whole new that was a whole new thing as well like you know something else to put on your time and attention right (laughs) exactly and I think I probably found that one and we can talk about that I thought if I found that that harder that much much harder than I I found that significantly more difficult than actually I did doing you know multiple jobs and so I think it's in my nature I think I have the capability to be able to switch between different contexts and I'd also been doing I've been practicing it that point about deliberate practice I've been practicing it for a while because I actually started working a four-day week at Sainsbury's 
five or six years ago when actually it was very unusual to work a four-day week and not have kids mm, yeah. um and to be you know to be running this little entity I don't think anyone knew quite what to make of me but again it was okay because I was in that weird and wonderful bracket so I was probably just being very Sarah-like because on the surface that's the side hustle that you're gonna leave us for isn't it that's the way a lot of people might look at that yeah I think I had I was very lucky at that time I had a uh, a boss who was on the board at Sainsbury's, a lady called Sarah Wilby. And Sarah, I think, recognised that that one day a week was me giving me the opportunity, I think, to just do things differently. So to start from scratch, um, to be really creative, to experiment in just ways that you can't do within a corporate setting. But I was still fully committed to, really loved my, I loved Sainsbury's, I loved working there and I loved my roles um, that I had at Sainsbury's. I was head of corporate responsibility. I moved on to be head of marketing strategy. And and those roles were uh, pivotal. I grew so much. I worked with some brilliant people. And actually, I had no intention at that time of leaving Sainsbury's to go and run Amazing If. I was just, I just liked the duality of it, the polymath like of, yeah, of doing yeah. those things and I think people can they can see that and they can feel that and I was as dedicated to Sainsbury's and to what I was doing and I think it's, it actually comes down to trust I think if you work for somebody who trusts you and trusts that you will make it work and that when you say you're still really committed to it and that you're not re- spending all your time wishing you were somewhere else then I think you just prove that by how you show up how you turn up People can tell, I think, whether you care or not. And I, I always really did. So that always worked really well. And then I think I did obviously get to a natural point where I thought, actually, now just feel like the time to make the very slow, gradual leap that I eventually made. <laughs> yeah, well, and it helps when you've got a book that's um, a number one Sunday Times bestseller as well, right? <laughs> to give the, <laughs> give the business a little bit of an endorsement. So we're talking about the squiggly career. And I'm going to talk about a couple of bits from uh, that book in a minute. Just before we talk about the book, what have you learned by now being full time in a small business? And particularly, what message or lesson would you give to anybody who's in a big entity and thinking about doing something similar and is frightened by it or interested in it? So the best thing about running Amazing If, and I'm pretty convinced that I wouldn't do it otherwise, is the fact that I have a business partner. And my business partner, Helen, we met over 20 years ago at university. She's very different to me. She's very extrovert. I'm very introvert. We live our lives in quite different in quite different ways. But we really love working together and are very, mm. uni- very united in our values and our drive for this kind of democratizing career development idea that we're both so kind of passionate about. And so... Yeah. Actually, what I've learned since I've been in it full time, I was always actually a little bit worried that Helen and I were too, almost too similar. So though we've got different personalities, you know, we've both done very similar jobs in big corporates and led very big teams. And I wondered if when we were both in it full time, would we both clash a bit or try to lead? Both of us tried to take charge a little bit too much. And would we be complimentary or would we just have too much sameness? And I was very mindful of you want different people to bring different things. But actually... The longer that we've worked together in this fully kind of immersed way, I've actually seen more of our differences than I have our similarities. So yes, we absolutely have the same vision for what we want to do in our business, but actually how we work, our ideas, the way that we think is is all pretty different. And so I found that actually reassuring when I started to feel more and more difference in us both. And also I think you, for me personally, 
I think I need that other person so that you've got someone to pick you up when you do go for the run and you have the lows and yeah. and you want someone yeah. to share the highs with as well and there are so many highs and lows I mean everybody talks about the analogy of the highs are higher the lows are lower I think it is true and I think partly it's true because it's your own it's your own entity so you feel everything more keenly like Sainsbury's had if I think about some of the impact that Sainsbury's have and some of the challenges and some of the wins, they're obviously massive compared to, you know, the positive impact Sainsbury's can have on communities is massive compared to the work that we do. But I think just how you feel everything when you have worked on it and it's kind of your ideas is just so much heightened. So I think just having someone to go on the roller coaster with, for me personally, I think has been critical. I don't think I would do it by myself. And I'm really glad that we have that difference of styles, personality, contribution, but that we share such a strong sense of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yeah, and and difference expressed as complementary rather than uh, conflicting, right? Which yeah. is always the, the important thing with business partners. Mm-hmm. You talked about Sainsbury's there and you, for a while, you were the head of corporate responsibility and society there. Yep. So I suppose the obvious question about Sainsbury's right now is if you were still working there what would be the conversations you'd be having what are some of the the key issues that you see that supermarkets have Hmm. risen to the challenge around or not risen to the challenge around well Sainsbury's is a genuinely values-led business and I suspect right now I sound exactly like I did when I was the head of corporate responsibility (laughs) but I've worked in enough big organizations I think to know and to feel the difference between values that are just on a wall because a company thinks they should be and values that are lived and breathed day in day out by um, the company and they and they kind of really mean them and they hold themselves to account to those values and certainly Sainsbury's is an organization where I think because it's where it started in terms of where they source food from the Sainsbury farm and the family and it's always kept that sense of you know wanting to support their colleagues and the communities that they serve is the way that they would describe it so the shops that we all go into whether you're going into a shop at the moment or getting online delivery is it will have been incredibly stressful the pressure on supply chains and it is a people-based business you know there are lots of people coming into work every day the decisions that they will have had to make very very quickly and the pressure they will have been under and the scrutiny will will have been immense and I know from the people that I'm still friends with who've been working there everybody is has been so committed to like wanting to kind of help wanting to play a positive role because I think we all probably feel that is in such a tough time we always want to we want to try and help if we can and I think that's that's certainly what I've seen of Sainsbury's and I'm sure lots of the other supermarkets is people going how can we help and I heard a lovely example of how um uh Sainsbury's recently they delivered a load of easter eggs that they had to care homes up and down the country and I think just those small moments of kindness and trying to help in any way they can. That that little small story that somebody told me who actually um, works in the care home sector and said, oh, I contacted Sainsbury's and they they made that happen. And they, yeah. will have, they will have made that happen in the midst of so much other stuff operationally happening. And it just, it didn't surprise me, but it it reassured me that they are continuing to stick to the things that they were really good at when I when I was there. So I'm sure it's tough and I'm sure they won't have got it right every time because no nobody does a business at that scale. It's, it's almost an impossible task. What I do hope, though, is that I think everybody, the general public, I hope, has given every organisation the kind of the benefit of the doubt that they are 
trying to do their best in what is difficult circumstances. And of course, some people kind of get it more right right than others. But certainly, I think they, they tried very quickly to do the social distancing. I think the prioritising vulnerable elderly people in terms of the shopping segments yeah. of the day, I think was a brilliant idea. I think most supermarkets have done that. And actually, they have got back on their feet, I think, surprisingly quickly. Certainly, when I've been into the supermarkets over the last couple of weeks, they seem to have managed to get things back on the shelves and you think about the scale of that challenge how quickly they've managed to restore some level of normality I think it's pretty incredible it does feel a bit like that when you walk into a supermarket now it's like you're not having this end of days feeling like no. you're having a few weeks ago of like there being like one lonely jar of expensive sauce yeah. left on the entire yeah. tin dial or whatever it does feel like it's got back to some I know normality. I think the day that I could get a really like a Heinz tomato soup and the day that that was back in back on the shelves, I thought, hey, there's hope. There's hope. Yeah. <laughs> we, we might make it. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about from your book was the idea of the personal manifesto, mm-hmm. which I really liked. So there's this whole chapter that talks about how to develop a personal manifesto. Do you want to just explain what your personal manifesto is and why is that important to people? Well, I think personal manifestos or vision boards or whatever people want to do, and I don't think it matters what you call them, are just a really good way of, I think, getting out of your head the things that are important to you and making them real in some way. So whether you like to visualise things, whether you like to write or draw or create, I do think having this sense of, the things that really matter to you, your constants. And I think those reminders can be particularly useful when you're trying to make decisions, when things are hard, perhaps. Or if you're just trying to think, if you're just feeling a bit stuck, I think, again, having something that you feel grounded by and that just feels like it's your creation of of yourself can be, certainly I found, has been um, really useful. And actually, funnily enough, for somebody who I'm usually pretty visual, like we run all our workshops doing like live drawing and we draw all of our tools live. I actually prefer writing to doing vision boards. And Helen's very much a vision board person. And actually, I first did this. uh, I was on a leadership program where they encouraged you to do that classic thing of sending a letter to yourself. Send a letter to yourself in six weeks time about what you're thinking feeling what do you want to do differently as a result of the learning experience that you have and that was almost a mini version of this manifesto that I ended up creating and I think for me what it what it's useful for is just the things that guide me so mine talks a lot about thinking creating and learning and that almost we talked before about squiggly careers and you can never quite sense what might happen next and we're all about exploring possibilities the things that stay true for me are always this, always these idea of creating and learning and actually writing it in a way that works for me in language that is my own language, again, just helps, I think, me to just, uh, you know, feel really grounded in, in the decisions that, that I make and just remind you, I think, what's most important to you. So there's a couple of bits of yours that I really like. The learn bit, stay curious and always be a work in progress, I really like. And the bit at the bottom just says happiness is, Tom, brackets partner, Max, when he sleeps, (laughs) close family and friends, sport, developing and launching new enterprises, helping people thrive in a squiggly career, the seaside, autumn, fiction, cookies and a cup of tea. I just love the ending of that. It's just really sweet. (laughs) Well, basically, um, that is my life in a paragraph. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And it's funny when you do that exercise, 
I think, you know, you can talk about how powerful gratitude and reflecting about what you do have rather than what you don't have can be. And I think when I, I remember writing that for the first time. So I've only, I've written the, I first wrote this six, seven years ago. And I've only updated it once, the kind of happinesses section. And that was because um, I had a baby, because I had Max. Yes, I had um, Max in there, yeah. I had, I had to add Max, obviously. Yeah. Uh, sort of, it was sort of mandatory, but he's getting a bit better now. He's a bit <laughs> older. He sleeps a little bit more. But everything else is the same. Yeah. And I find that really interesting. And I think when I first wrote it, it, it did actually help me to figure out that a lot of the things that made me really happy are quite simple things and there were things that actually I already had in my mm. life which I was very great grateful for and but I think you work hard to keep those things I don't think they just yeah. happen and to make time for them and to prioritize them and if I get to the point I'm someone who could probably work a lot of the time as in all day every day including weekends because I really enjoy the work that I do but I really feel it if I've not read a new fiction book for a while or if I love to walk and I find walking really helps my thinking and my ideas and if I was able to go to the seaside, a walk by the sea, and just thinking, when was the last time I did those things? Is, yeah, is a good question, yeah. I think, to ask yourself. I don't sort of believe in the work-life balance thing, but I think you are constantly calibrating. You're constantly thinking, actually, how do I integrate all of the things that are important to me in a way that works for me, and not necessarily in this moment, so in this day or in this week, but maybe in this month. Um, yeah. I was even reflecting on, so last week we had a particularly busy week work-wise, but then both Helen and I this week have prioritised more time for individual learning and we have protected that time. And actually, I'm going to take a day off for Max's birthday next Tuesday and I'm going to spend a bit more time doing some running and some yoga this week and just making sure that nothing goes out of kilter for too long, I think is just has been a good day-to-day reminder for me. Because that's the thing about work-life balance, isn't it, is that whatever you call it, it's a flawed term. But, you know, if, if you're doing work that you love, it's very easy to say, I can be working all the time and work doesn't feel like work and whatever. But you are still neglecting, you know, maybe running or health or family. or Like there is still something that you're neglecting, even when you love what you do, right? Yeah. And I think you have to recognise that by doing those other things, you will do better work, which is, mm. which is definitely true. And you have to recognise that by doing those other things, it also makes you more resilient. So I was interviewing Martha Lane Fox last week, and I was about resilience specifically. And I said to her, what do you think has made you the most, like what's helped you to build your resilience personally and professionally? And actually, she talked about it's it's having other things. It's having other things outside of work that you appreciate, are grateful for, that you enjoy. And you don't become so all consumed and all focused on just the work that then things go wrong or if things get in your way and that's your everything, then obviously that has a, it's much harder to then generally be resilient. And I thought Mm. that was really interesting observation from somebody like her who's on the board of Chanel and Twitter. She's run lots of very successful companies and also personally had to um, recover from a very serious life-threatening car accident where she had to relearn to walk again. And so that was just, I, I found that really interesting. So though I'm definitely someone who could be tempted by and fall into the trap of working too much, I think I have really, I really recognize that point about how I will do better work and I'm really motivated to do better work. So that stops me doing it. But also just the the point about being resilient, staying curious and not always feeling like everything has to be always about running. Because I think when you run your own business, there is that temptation of thinking, well, if I don't do it, no one else does which is also true, but I think you have to let that go and you have to let go some of the 
stereotypes about entrepreneurs like working 24-7 and you never stop working and that's the life of an entrepreneur and I don't want that to be my life and I don't buy that either as the only way to run your own business successfully is to never stop working. I think it's really dangerous that whole hustle culture thing Mm. Um, and back to the Instagram comparisons and the fact that people often do compare themselves in very negative ways yeah it doesn't feel like a good strategy and it also doesn't feel like a description of lots of people who I know who run successful businesses right so Mm. they're obviously doing it a different way but then they're not bothering to put that on Instagram videos yeah Yeah. and I think that's probably the thing to remind yourself of if you're listening to this and thinking about setting your own business or you're setting it up and thinking am I running this in the right way Mm. is probably the stories that we hear the most tend to be from maybe that more traditional entrepreneur hustle types who are also very good at often using social media and and sharing those. that's part of their raison d'etre and how they work whereas actually there'll be loads of very successful businesses under the surface where their stories are often untold or they're just not not as well known and those people often like exactly as you said aren't running businesses in those ways I mean I would never want people to think that you don't work really hard because I, I do think that is true. And I think but I worked really, really hard when I worked in a corporate environment as well. Yeah, so yeah. for me, that's no different. The do you work hard? Do you care about your work? Those things are still true for me. And I, I do think one of the things that's really important, certainly for us at Amazing If, is are we running a sustainable business? So and part of being sustainable is we need to be sustainable as individuals, like feeling yes, mentally, sure. healthily. Yeah. I want our business to last for forever. I don't, I don't see it as a... You know, I guess because we're not trying to create an entity to sell, I guess that puts you in a very different mindset, perhaps to the people who have to drive incredibly fast growth in a very short period of time, which I appreciate brings a whole new set of pressures working in that more private equity type world. For sure. Yeah, I've been asked loads of times over the years and I'm sort of 12 years into my business now. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever that question comes up, what what does your exit look like? I always just say death. Because <laughs> it's not about that, right? It's you know it's about the the business doing good work and continuing to do that as long as I can possibly make that. That's happen. a really good. Yeah. That's a that's a really good answer. <laughs> the one thing I wanted to touch about before we finish is you were telling me about this podcast series that you're doing around Ask the Expert. So do you want to just tell us about that? Yeah, that'd be great. So we uh, are launching a new six-part Ask the Expert series, which is part of the Squiggly Careers podcast. So we've been doing Squiggly Careers now weekly for over two years. So I think there's about 141, 142 episodes to catch up on if you're new to it. But we thought, particularly right now, it does feel like there are some skills that are particularly relevant and pertinent to the time we all find ourselves in. So things like resilience, um, which is why I was talking to Martha Lane Fox last week, psychological safety, purpose. So each week for the next six weeks, we've got a very short interview that will go out on a Thursday. It's about 10 or 12 minutes with real experts on each of those skills. So Martha Lane Fox talking about resilience, Rich Pearson, who's the founder of um, Headspace, talking about mindfulness, Simon Sinek talking about purpose. Holly Tucker, who's the founder of Not on the High Street, and Holly and Co. talking about creativity. So just brilliant, short, specific snippet interviews that will be full of inspiration, but actually, again, very focused on, as we said at the start of our conversation today, action and practical, useful ideas in terms of how you can develop that skill for yourself and why we think it'll be particularly useful over the next year, 18 months. So 
if those skills feel like they might be something that you're interested in, I can tell you certainly the three interviews that I've done so far, the, the people are just absolutely brilliant. They really blow me away in terms of just both their insights, their, but also their ability to translate that into something that will be useful for all of us um, in our work, regardless of what you do. Yeah, so go check that one out and go and also check out The Squiggly Career, your number one Sunday Times <laughs> bestselling business book, which is Thank very you. cool. So if people want to find more of what you do and connect with you, how do they how do they connect with you? So we're on Instagram where we're just at Amazing If. Um, you can follow us and you can always DM us there. Squiggly Careers is our podcast, both myself, so Sarah Ellis and Helen Tupper, really easy to find on LinkedIn. So you can always connect with us through LinkedIn. And we do, we really like to connect with our communities. So if you've got any questions based on the conversation I've had with Graham today, or you want to explore something a bit further, or you're interested in any of the workshops that we might run for yourself or for your company, uh, please do get in touch. We really do like to kind of chat to people personally. It's always a really nice thing to do. Cool. Thanks, Sarah. And we were chatting a bit before, so I just realised I've, I've kept you way longer than um, <laughs> was in our diary. So I hope you're not now late for your next thing. I'm not, <laughs> okay. I'm not. <laughs> uh, but just want to say thanks for being on Beyond Busy. And it's an interesting time, isn't it? But I uh, look forward to uh, hearing more about your learnings and what you and Helen are up to over the next few months and uh, how we all come out of this. So thanks again. Thank you so much for the invite. I've really enjoyed our conversation. So thanks again to Sarah for being on the show. One thing I wanted to mention is that as soon as we hung up, Sarah started talking to me about this new thing that Amazing If have just launched called the Redundancy Reset. So basically, it's a free program. And if you are going through redundancy as part of COVID and what's going on, then Amazing If have put together this program of free resources. So there's a reboot section, which is an online career development program. There's a reflect section, so all about how to overcome confidence gremlins and lots of other resources to help you get uh, in tune with yourself. And then reset, so um, virtual coaching sessions and Q&As and and all that kind of good stuff. So um, we'll put the link to that in the show notes, which you can find at getbeyondbusy.com. And yeah, it's just a great a uh, little program of free resources. So if you are going through redundancy, if you're interested in um, maybe just exploring what your options are around taking on a new career, just how to get support in what's going to be a very interesting job market over the next few months. So uh, really good, um, you know, extra uh, layer of resources from Amazing If, um, all for free, uh, and they just want to help. So go to getbeyondbusy.com and we'll put the link to that in the show notes there. Um, and you can also find it on the amazingif.com um, website. Um, I also just wanted to say, so our sponsor for the show is Think Productive, which is my company. And we have now completed the process of moving all of our workshops to be available as live virtual. So If you are still working in a team, if you want some help around productivity, we can do all of our usual stuff. And of course, we've also got our dedicated resources for working from home. Uh, So you can find the dedicated stuff at thinkproductive.com forward slash WFH. And then all of our regular stuff just at thinkproductive.com or thinkproductive.co.uk if you're here in the UK. And um, yeah, we're, we're merrily plodding on with uh, trying to just help as many people as possible in either paid capacities or unpaid capacities. It really kind of depends on 
where clients are at. And, you know, we've got a whole range of clients from kind of retail operations who are really struggling through to uh, a few clients in kind of pharmaceuticals and medicine and health and all that sort of stuff who are really, really busy right now. So yeah, full range for us. And we're trying to do our best to uh, really just support people and continue our work around spreading the good message of productivity and work-life balance. So yeah, Think Productive are our sponsors for the show. Go and check out thinkproductive.com. And the other thing I just want to say is for the last couple of weeks, as I record this, I've been sending out uh, an email newsletter. This is the first time I've ever done this myself. Uh, Think Productive has obviously had one for years, which you can, of course, sign up to at thinkproductive.com. But mine is brand new and I had 17 people signed up before the first one came out. So it felt very lonely and very, um, you know, it felt like one of those... um, uh, mountains where I'm just, you know, sat at the bottom looking up. Um, but sure enough, we're on about 150 people now. It's growing pretty steadily and people finding us from all kinds of different places. So if you want to sign up to that, it's just grahamalcott.com. And then on the main homepage and actually at the bottom of every other page, you'll see a little form, just fill that in and sign up. The idea is just to send out, um, I'm calling it Rev Up for the Week. So the idea is every Sunday night, I just send out an an upbeat thought or idea for the week ahead. And the idea is it just puts you in a a positive frame of mind for the week. So if you're, uh, you know, sort of chomping through cornflakes on a a Monday morning and looking through emails, mine will be one of the first that you'll see. Uh, Maybe you look at it Sunday night. Uh, Maybe you're looking at it if you're lucky enough to be on a train or on a tube commuting. Oh, I just miss trains. I really miss trains. That's one of those things. I Honestly, this is probably the longest I've been in one city for probably the best part of a decade, I would have thought. And um, yeah, I just I just do have an itch to get on a train and, and go somewhere far away. But there you go. That's just um, that's my own little uh, issue to deal with. Um, only other thing I wanted to do before we finish is just to thank Mark Stedman and Podient, my producer and platform for the show. And thanks also to Emily, who has been doing a great job of um, just getting the numbers up of our Beyond Busy listeners and uh, just promoting the show. So if you are following me on Instagram, if you're not, I'm just at Graham Alcott, add me there. Uh, but yeah, uh, she's been putting out little um, video clips of each episode. Uh, and that's just been really uh, well-received, lots of people viewing those and, and liking those. Uh, and then putting the same stuff out on LinkedIn and on Twitter as well. So, yeah, just really, uh, you know, we're starting to get professional in this whole Beyond Busy thing. And, uh, you know, we're up in our game. What can I say? It's uh, It was actually my plan for the year anyway. And I guess uh, COVID-19 leaves us with very little else to do. So I, I have to follow through on my intention. So that's that. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I certainly did. And we'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode. We've been kind of putting a few episodes in the down weeks where we've got interesting COVID stuff, uh, helpful stuff, all that. So we might do that a bit more. Um, but yeah, rest assured, we'll be back for sure in two weeks' time with another episode. So until then, take care. Bye for now. Bye for now.